This is GM Word of the Week, and I'm Fiddleback. Chaos. We here at the Word of the Week like to think we do a pretty balanced job. At least we strive to. We try to present our research in a fair and objective way. We try to treat all cultures and all beliefs on roughly equal footing, and we try not to judge the past by the standards of the present. And we try to treat everything from pop culture to mythology to religion to biology to physics as if it has something valid to teach. In short, we try to present information as neutrally as we possibly can. But that's not the balance we're talking about here. We're talking about a different sort of balance, a different sort of neutrality. And if you're a fan of fantasy role-playing games, you're probably already shaking your head and sighing. Because you know what's coming you know that we're going to talk about alignment. And like every good gamer, you don't want to get drawn into that. Fortunately, neither do we. Every gamer eventually learns that discussion about the game concept known as alignment will just lead to confusion, strife, argument, and conflict. In short, any attempt to have an ordered and systematic discussion about the methods for measuring morality and ethicality in role-playing games will only lead to chaos. Gary Gygax himself, the man who invented the alignment system in Dungeons and Dragons, he learned that soon enough. By 1976, he admitted that the alignment system in D&D was the most oft-questioned system in the game. He admitted that the wording in various rulebooks and supplements was broad, vague, and contradictory. In the Strategic Review number 6 in February of 1976, he said that if he had his way about it, he would tear down and rewrite the whole system and reclassify everything. Strangely, he didn't say he'd just get rid of the whole darn system. And none of D&D's many designing stewards have been willing to excise the system since then. And so, it continues to sow discord and create chaos among gamers, no matter how often everything is redefined and how much various versions try to minimize its influence over the game. For the uninitiated, let's quickly define alignment systems. An alignment system is a system in a game whereby a player specifies that their character believes in certain moral and ethical standards, or unethical and amoral standards. They generally choose an alignment from a short list of descriptive terms that encompass broad moral standards, and then they pledge to play their character in accordance with those standards. And then they get into fights over their interpretation of the standards and whether their choice of alignment justifies them behaving like the southern end of a northbound donkey, if you take our meaning. And then the Game Master threatens punitive measures like the loss of experience levels or magical powers if the player doesn't just do what they're told, morally speaking. And then someone flips the table and the game is over. You can see why we all love these games so much. Now, if you spend any amount of time with nerds on the internet, you're familiar with the two-axis system that was popularized by Dungeons & Dragons. In that system, you can be good or evil, and you can be lawful or chaotic. Or you can remain neutral with respect to either or both standards. And that means there are nine slots for you to fill with jifes of Marvel comic characters or little ponies or historical figures or whatever for your hilarious alignment chart that allows you to show that you think that any given president of the United States is absolutely the most malevolent force ever to exist because he's chaotic evil, whereas, say, Satan is lawful evil. And then someone argues with you on Twitter and you flip the table over and the game is over. You can see why we all love the internet so much. 
But we're not here to argue about alignment systems. Heck, we're not even here to talk about the whole alignment system. We're focusing. We're going to talk about one very specific, often misinterpreted, and terribly maligned word that is the beginning of everything and often the end point of every discussion about alignment. Because Gygax and D&D didn't start with that whole lawful good and chaotic neutral and neutral evil mess. It started with two simple concepts, law and chaos. At least, they seemed simple, and Gygax basically ripped them off from fantasy authors like Poole Anderson and Michael Moorcock. In Anderson's works, as we've discussed before, the choice between law and chaos was basically the choice between people and monsters. Chaos was the force that ruled the fairy realm, law was the force that ruled the mortal realm, and the two were locked in endless conflict. Moorcock, in his fantasy writings, was a little fairer and more balanced about the whole thing. In his stories, primarily the saga of Elric, law and chaos were presented as opposing metaphysical forces. Law represented order, structure, justice, and civilization. Chaos represented randomness, entropy, disorder, and lawlessness. But the universe required both. More specifically, it required both in roughly equal measure. People couldn't live completely within the confines of law or they'd stagnate. And they couldn't live completely within the confines of chaos or life would become an anarchic mess and nothing would ever actually get done. In fact, matter itself couldn't exist because matter had to be ordered somehow. And that was the origin of the D&D principle that law represents order and community and society. And chaos represented freedom and creativity and individualism. And that's what Gygax tried to adopt for D&D. And that was fine, if a bit confusing. But what really made it all very messy was when Gygax tried to add good and evil into the mix. If he'd been a Taoist, he might have known better. But we'll get to that. First, we want to take umbrage with a few of the more scientific bits of Moorcock's suppositions. Thanks to high school level physics and movies about dinosaurs run amok in theme parks, at least the original good movies about dinosaurs run amok in theme parks, people think they know a few things about entropy and chaos. And people are wrong. Just the fact that they equate entropy and chaos shows they're a little confused. And we really want to clear up all the confusion we possibly can about chaos today. So let's start with entropy. Entropy is an extremely important concept in physics, engineering, and even cosmology. It's often introduced as the amount of disorder or randomness in a substance or a system or whatever. And that's not totally inaccurate, but it's not the most accurate. Because what entropy really has to do with is potential. It's about what the system or substance can become and what you can do with it and whether you can turn back the clock. The thing about entropy is that it's hard to define it in a simple way because to really understand entropy, you have to understand complex things like phase space and thermodynamic systems. And you really don't want to go that route. Instead, we're going to ask you to imagine watching two different films. The first film shows a ping-pong ball sitting on a table. A second ping-pong ball comes rolling into frame and strikes the first one. The second one comes to a dead stop, and the first one goes rolling out of frame. Got it? Okay, now, what if we had accidentally played that film backwards? In actuality, it was the first ping-pong ball rolling into frame, striking the second, coming to a dead stop, and the second one rolling away. Could you even tell? No, 
No, you couldn't. Now, in the second film, you see a teacup falling onto the floor and shattering into a billion pieces. Could you tell the difference if we played that one backwards? Of course you could. The broken teacup has a whole lot of entropy. In fact, the entropy has increased drastically over the course of that film. The two ping pong balls have very little entropy and their collision doesn't change that. See, the important thing isn't the disorder. It's whether the disorder can be reversed. People get hung up on the concept of entropy being how much the constituent components of a thing are moving around and they think of entropy as chaos. But entropy doesn't really care about things on the tiny level. It doesn't care how the molecules and atoms are moving. What it cares about is how many different ways you could have the same thing. There's lots of ways to have a broken teacup. All sorts of arrangements of sizes and pieces jumbled up all over the place. But an unbroken teacup can only really exist one way. The more possible ways the same thing can exist without being a different thing, that's entropy. The important thing about entropy is that it always increases if you leave things alone. Everything tends towards entropy. Even the universe itself. In fact, one theory of the ultimate end of the universe is called the heat death of the universe. Eventually, goes the theory, all the matter and energy in the universe will gradually be broken down into a giant soup of useless heat energy that can't be turned into anything else. And if you think of entropy as chaos in the traditional sense, that uniform soupy abyss of nothing but dissipating heat doesn't really fit. But it's entropy nonetheless. Of course, we can't talk about science and chaos without also mentioning chaos theory. Chaos theory was a very popular bit of science for a while, and it played a huge role in Michael Crichton's book Jurassic Park and the 1993 blockbuster film directed by Steven Spielberg. In that film, Jeff Goldblum played an irreverent mathematician, a chaotician, as he called himself, named Ian Malcolm, who was grating, sarcastic, egotistical, and wouldn't stop trying to explain chaos theory even when a Tyrannosaurus was literally trying to eat him. What's interesting is that, to really understand chaos theory, you also have to explain the concept of phase space. Fortunately, we already did. Remember when we said there are lots of ways for a broken teacup to be a broken teacup and few ways for it to be an intact teacup? Well, we were talking about phase space. A phase space is a sort of multidimensional representation of all the different states something like a teacup or a dinosaur park can exist in. It also shows how the system can move between those states. In the phase space for a teacup, there are lots and lots of spaces taken up by broken teacups and very few spots taken up by intact teacups. And there are lots of spaces for dinosaur parks to become lethally dangerous and very few that are perfectly safe and calm. Entropy explains that systems always tend to end up in the biggest regions, the ones with the most available possible spaces, in their phase space. Teacups break and dinosaurs go berserk. And chaos theory explains some of the rules about the transitions between those states. Roughly speaking, more complicated systems have more complicated phase spaces. And all the little regions in their spaces are defined by very, very particular parameters. And if you have a system with a very complicated phase space with very tiny particular parameters and then watch that system evolve and move from region to region, it becomes impossible to predict where it's going to go with any sort of precision at all. 
This is commonly phrased as the butterfly effect. And that has to do with the fact that the weather is one of the most complicated and finicky phase spaces that exists in nature. Imagine you can measure every aspect of the weather – temperature, humidity, air pressure, wind speed and direction, and so on. You can measure every aspect of the weather very precisely right now. And that puts you in a particular spot in the phase space. As time goes on, the weather evolves from state to state, and tomorrow it ends up in a different spot in the phase space. Right? Fine. Here's the problem, though. The states in the phase space are so super precise that a tiny, teeny, weeny variation in your measurements or the conditions will change your starting point. And then, as the system evolves, it will quickly go in very different directions. The colloquialism is that if a butterfly flaps its wings in Tokyo, it can cause a tornado in Kansas a week later. No one has ever successfully explained why the butterfly has to be in Tokyo to do this, nor why they haven't found that particular butterfly and killed it. But the weather tomorrow is so sensitive to ultra-precise measurements today that we can't even measure all the variables accurately enough to predict the weather. And that's why computer weather simulations become inaccurate after a few days, and why those 10-day forecasts are complete hogwash and the meteorologists know it. Now, what's interesting is that chaos is actually a very old concept. Like, it's one of the oldest metaphysical concepts that exists. And according to just about every theory, scientific, religious, and mythical, it was pretty much the first thing to exist. Those two scientific principles we just discussed can help us drill down to the real meaning of chaos. Chaos theory is based on the potential for a great deal of complexity to evolve at random out of something that seems to work on orderly principles, like how fights can grow out of a simple rules system. And entropy shows us that chaos can be just as chaotic when it takes the form of an empty void of blackness. And our knowledge of ancient Greek tells us that chaos comes from the same root as the word chasm, and it means yawning, pit, gap, or open space. Because chaos was, in ancient Greek mythology, the first primordial entity to exist, or rather the first thing to exist. It was a formless void. And then Gaia, the world, came to be. And then came Erebus, the darkness, and Nyx, the night. And from night came Eros, and from Eros and Chaos came birds. Admittedly, the Greek creation myth gets a little weird when it starts personifying its natural forces and then tries to explain how night gives birth to love or lust, and how that gives birth to birds. But the personification thing isn't that weird. In his recent best-selling book, Twelve Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos, Peterson notes that humanity evolved as a social creature, and as such, its most basic understanding of universal concepts are expressed as personifications first. That's because we understood interpersonal relationships long before we had a scientific understanding of the universe. And that's why ancient myths ascribe personalities to important forces that drive the world. And building on a framework of Jungian psychology, which we've explained before, particularly in our episode about dragons, he explains the conflict between order and chaos as central to most early creation myths. He describes order as the knowable and understandable and controllable universe. When everything is going according to plan and everything is under control, that's order. And chaos is the unexpected, the uncontrollable, the natural, the unknown. And the interplay between those two psychological forces has shaped the evolution of living brains for millions of years. 
And that is why so many creation myths from across the world begin with a formless void that represents chaos, and then a birth of order from that chaos. And if you go back to our episode about the cosmos, you'll hear those themes repeated in several creation myths. It's important to note, however, that order and chaos, while they seem to be in conflict, are intertwined. That is, in just about every myth and story they exist in, and that's pretty much all the ones on Earth, they coexist in balance. And nowhere is this more prominently showcased than in the Taoist symbol of the yin and yang and the concepts that informed them. And if Gygax had understood a bit about Taoism, as Moorcock apparently did, he might have seen the chaos that would grow out of his orderly alignment system. And he certainly never would have dropped good and evil on top of it. And he never would have claimed, as he did in that article we referenced above, that most humans are of a lawful nature. Now, we've all seen the symbol commonly called the yin-yang, or more correctly, the yin and yang. It's that circular thing with the white and black halves separated by a sinuous line and with a little dot of the opposite color in each field. If you haven't seen it, go look it up. That symbol is actually not the yin and yang. It just represents the yin and yang. The yin and yang was the central principle of the yin-yangia, or school of naturalism. The story begins in the 3rd century BCE, in the Warring States era of China. During this period, China wasn't China at all. Now, the story of the Warring States period stretches back a long way, because China has existed more or less as a nation since around 2000 BCE, when several clans living around the Yellow River were united under the rule of the Shia family. At least, in theory. Because although later Chinese writings talk about the Shia, there's no solid archaeological evidence that they existed. But the story goes that a great hero named Shia Yu tamed the constantly flooding Yellow River by digging canals to divert the water. Because of the increased agricultural production in the Yellow River Valley, Shia Yu was able to build a great army. And this great army convinced all his neighbors that he, Shia Yu, should be in charge. And thus began the system of dynastic rule in China. Basically, a dynasty is just a family or group that maintains political power over several generations. After the Shia dynasty ended, the Shang dynasty came into power, though we're glossing over a lot of history here to get to the current period. And then came the Zhao dynasty, and things got really big, and then things fell apart, and eventually they came back together. In 1045 BCE, the ruler of the Zhao tribe, Zhao Wu, overthrew the last Shang king. And with that, from the relatively small lands around the Yellow River, the Zhao dynasty got off to a strong start. But as they expanded their territory north across the Yellow River and south to the Yangtze River and beyond, as well as west, they encountered several particularly strong clans. And the Zhao dynasty became reliant on other clan soldiers for defense and expansion. In 771, when King Yu replaced his wife with a concubine, his wife's father withdrew their military support. Worse, his clan, the Quan Rong, attacked the capital. The resulting political upheaval, which included moving the capital, caused a weird sort of political disconnect, and control of the Zhao dynasty changed from one family to another. It's complicated and technical, but it also marked the transition between what was called the Western Zhao and Eastern Zhao empires and it left the ruling family with even less military power with which to govern the many states they had brought under their control. 
The Zhao dynasty effectively lost power and became figureheads while local rulers took control of the dozen and a half states that comprised the empire. And then civil war broke out and the states fractured into other states and multiple warlords vied for control. Eventually, Emperor Qing would found his namesake empire of China and China would become a true empire. But before and during the Warring States period, a lot was changing in China beyond the political situation. Bronze Age technology was supplanted as China entered the Iron Age, and a great many philosophical and naturalistic scholars emerged and laid the basis for pretty much everything that would shape the culture of the Chinese Empire. And the cosmologist Zhao Yen, a member of the naturalist or Yin Yang school, developed a very important theory. He believed that life proceeded through five phases, fire, water, metal, wood, and earth. And throughout those phases, life was constantly switching between two metaphysical ideals, yin and yang. Yin was the dark force, the feminine force, a transformative and ever-changing force that gives spirit to all things. Yang was the light force, the masculine force that imposed order and form on all things. Both yin and yang were born from chaos when the universe was born, and they exist in harmony. And the two ideals, yin and yang, form the center of two basic Chinese philosophies. Confucianism was born of yang, and Taoism was born of yin. And the yin and yang symbol, which depicts black yin and white yang intertwined, contains the two central ideas of the yin and yang philosophy. First, life and existence must come from a balance of yin and yang. They are complementary forces. Life exists on the curving line between yin and yang. Second, each field has a dot of the other inside of it. Because yin and yang each have the potential to become each other. And those are the two lessons that Gary Gygax failed to learn when he invented his alignment system and consigned us gamers to five decades of arguing about alignment. First, you do not choose one side or the other. You have to exist between the two forces. Second, each force can turn into the other. So your beautiful orderly system always has the potential to turn into chaos. And once things get seriously out of balance and too much chaos takes over, it's very hard to turn back the other way. You can figure out where the butterflies and dinosaurs fit in yourself. This has been GM Word of the Week. It's written and researched by The Angry GM and produced by me, Fiddleback. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gmwordoftheweek. You can find more at gmwordoftheweek.com and theangrygm.com. Thank you.